Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. We're continuing our studies in the book of Sirach. It was called the church book in the early church, and I'm calling it also the family book because families raising children in the 21st century need to understand the message of Sirach. And the key message in this book of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning and the foundation or the root of wisdom. And that's from Sirach, the first chapter, verses 14 and verse 20. Now, the last episode, we talked about wisdom's foundation as the fear of the Lord and tried to define what that was. It's not being terrified of God, but that awe, that reverence, that veneration. And there isn't a single word in English that conveys exactly what we are talking about. But I came across a one-paragraph description of the fear of the Lord from a book entitled The United Bible Society's Handbook on Sirach. And the United Bible Societies makes a very concise commentary that gets right to the point with the most accurate meaning possible for those translating the Bible into other languages. And this is available if you own the Logos Bible software, the Verbum software. And I'm going to give it to you because I have been collecting commentaries on Sirach, getting ready for this series for quite a few years, but yet this paragraph has a lot in it compared to maybe some other commentaries which take a few pages to get to this point. Here we go. The fear of God refers to the proper attitude of reverence and awe before the Holy One. To fear God is to recognize one's own place as a mere mortal before the Creator, one's place as a sinner before the judge, one's place as a child before the Father, one's place as the recipient of God's love. It involves submission, repentance, trust, and grateful love toward the one who is fearsome in holiness, in justice, in power, that both protects and punishes in love. Using the word Fear is sometimes as good as we can do, but often we alternate that word with terms like reverence or awe. This comes from the Dictionary of the Old Testament, and this is going to get us close to worldview. We had a very positive response from parents when we did our series on worldview, and we have mentioned several times in these broadcasts that a young person's worldview affects moral behavior more than direct teaching about moral behavior. Because if you teach moral behavior without worldview, it doesn't seem to stick. And here we're going to hear from the Dictionary of the Old Testament. Thinking about life, this is, we're talking about developing a worldview, begins with the acknowledgement that God is at the center of the universe and not humans, or not ourselves. And to think that we ourselves are the center of the universe, the wisdom literature talks about being 
wise in our own eyes. So, having the fear of the Lord is having a perspective that listens to God about how to live life, and that arises from seeing God as the center of all life. Now, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the Dictionary of the Old Testament calls it a type of presupposition, getting a little technical there, or a pre-understanding. It's like the first thought that makes all thoughts fit into place. And again, when you're getting to catechesis, spiritual formation, if you don't have the first thought in place as the first thought, the primary thought, and the continual thought, then you may be getting off base and you may not be accurately understanding everything. I'm talking about the person receiving what they're hearing. So the fear of the Lord is square one in the quest for a meaningful existence. Now, one of the things we want to do as Christians is develop our minds like the mind of Christ. There's a great prophecy in Isaiah 11 talking about the Messiah, and it says, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. First up, the spirit of wisdom. And again, that's what the whole book of Sirach is about, along with Proverbs and the book called Wisdom. Wisdom and understanding, the spirit of of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit poured out in fullness upon the Messiah. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. In other words, he's going to orient himself around the revelation from the Father. Now, many times you've heard me reference, and a number of other hosts on Catholic Radio have mentioned the Barna organization, started by George Barna. You may not know that George Barna is no longer with the Barna organization. He turned the whole organization over to somebody else, and George Barna is now at the Arizona Christian University. One of the things that George Barna discovered in all his polling, and he did, in fact, I have some of George Barna's first research on youth. I found it invaluable. That was in kind of, it wasn't books. It was just, I don't know what you call it, uh, pressed together pages of different research he found. But through all of his research, he came to discover that a worldview was crucial for how people end up acting, thinking, and behaving. And he also knew that it begins early. So putting his money where his mouth is or putting his life where his mouth is, George Barna quit the Barna organization and went to Arizona Christian University. And this university teaches consciously every single course throughout the curriculum of four years with developing a worldview in mind. And George Barna and his associates have come up with a worldview kind of a, a test at the beginning of their college career. I think there's some periodic tests and then before they graduate, because the goal of the university is to instill a worldview in the young people. And the young people's worldview 
will determine their views on morals, okay? And as I have mentioned several times, moral behavior is primarily dependent on your worldview. And this is what George Barna sent to me in an email this week. As a longtime researcher of worldview and religious trends, I'm often asked about the changes that I've seen over my 40-year career. Frankly, nothing has been more striking than what we are witnessing today in the American cultural landscape. Seismic shifts in worldview are ushering in some of the most radical cultural upheavals our nation has ever experienced. Now, I'm just going to pause in his email here for a moment. Most conservative Christians think that we can turn our nation around if we just elect the right president. That will never happen. I'm not saying that's not important. It's very interesting that if you want some of the best analysis of how Christians voted in the last presidential election, you go to the Arizona Christian University with George Barna and half of his website links are to worldview and instilling that in young people and then how that's working out in in political elections. But he realizes political elections goes back to something and it's a worldview. And then he goes on back to his email. But as my recent worldview research clearly shows, the United States has become one of the largest and most important mission fields in the world. In other words, we're living in a disaster. And even worse than maybe some of the things that are happening in our culture, you think, what could be worse? Well, the thing that's really worse is losing a Christian worldview. And Barna goes on to say, and again, this is a man who left his organization and is now working on the college level to instill worldview in Christian young people. He's putting his life where he thinks he can make the big change here. He says, As I see it, Christian ministry as practiced here in the U.S. for the last five decades will be ineffective in meeting these new challenges. And the rest of this show will be describing why it will not be effective. Because bottom line, if you skip over worldview, and at the heart of worldview is wisdom, and that wisdom has its beginning in the fear of the Lord. If you don't begin, it's hard to get anywhere. And if the root or the foundation of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, that means you can build a great structure of education and cultural attempts and political attempts. But if it doesn't have a foundation, the building will not last. In other words, you'll get nowhere. And that's why he's trying to call people back to developing a worldview. That's why our early Catholic leaders, the church fathers, the saints, the doctors of the church used Sirach and Proverbs in the early church. They realized, now they didn't talk about worldview back then, but they did realize the value of wisdom and how that would affect everything in the church and the world and how to get a pagan convert to live as a Christian disciple. That's why they kept going back to this. So this is why the fear of the Lord needs that God-centered thinking and mentality that pervades one's outlook on life. Now, one of the words I shared with you last time 
kind of a, uh, a, a alternative way to express what is the fear of the Lord, I use the word reverence. And a very interesting, Dietrich von Hildebrand called reverence the mother of all virtues. And he called it the basic attitude that all virtues presuppose. And if, again, reverence is almost a synonym or, or a comparable way of expressing the fear of the Lord. He said that the knowledge of God only reveals itself to reverent minds. So in other words, if you give Catholic education, Catholic catechesis, Catholic college to a young person, without that reverence, without that fear of the Lord, it, it doesn't get revealed to the mind. It remains somewhere in the mind, yeah, as some abstract religious facts, but it's not impacting that person's life or their culture in which they're living. So he felt teaching reverence, again, that's a type of teaching the fear of the Lord, is a necessary foundation for a solid faith and for developing moral purity. He didn't think moral purity could come without reverence. And let's talk about reverence because, again, where you go to Mass may be really important. I've had an opportunity to travel all around North America, and I must say I've seen everything from the best of the best to we'll just leave it there. Let me mention what Cardinal Sarah said. There are some very serious misinterpretations of the liturgy that have crept in thanks to an attitude in the liturgy which places man rather than God at the center. You see, this is the flip side, uh, a man-centered focus on everything, a worldview of different topics, classes, studies, and even worship. The liturgy, Cardinal Sarah says, is not about you and I. It's not where we celebrate our own identity or achievements or exalt or promote our own culture or local customs. The liturgy is first and foremost about God and what he has done for us. And then Cardinal Sarah goes on to quote Cardinal Ratzinger. Cardinal Ratzinger said, quote, forgetting about God is the most imminent danger of our age. In other words, you can come into worship and forget God. God's the point. And yet we have managed in our culture that is focusing on ourselves, our ego, and worshiping ourselves in the most subtle way. And we're perverting something that should be ultimately Godward, that should influence the way we view the rest of our life through the week, it's been turned around. Now, one of the things that we want to do as Christians is, is know God. That's what wisdom is all about, is knowing him, his ways, and his will for us. I don't know if you've ever spent much time contemplating the prologue of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. But the prologue, to me, if properly understood, I'm sure 
when choosing what we're going to put in the prologue of the catechism, it wasn't a flip of a coin or like, uh, let's see, what haven't we said that we can stick in there? Now, the prologue was something that would color everything else that comes in the catechism. Just like the fear of the Lord and wisdom should color all of our thoughts, our thinking, and our outlook on life. And this is what the prologue of the Catechism of the Catholic Church says, quote, Father, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In other words, at the heart of the Catechism is knowing God. And it calls it, that's eternal life. And that's a quote from the lips of Jesus recorded in John chapter 17. The focus on God rather than ourselves is the essence of wisdom and the fear of the Lord. There's a evangelical book written by a preacher, a lay, I wouldn't call him a lay theologian, but he wasn't formally trained in theology, a man by the name of Tozer, he had a book called The Knowledge of the Holy, and he, he basically right in line with what the catechism preface or prologue says. He says, what we've lost is the concept of majesty from the popular religious mind, okay? The religious mind, not the people out there. We always want to point the finger. These people are causing everything wrong with America. Well, maybe we should change what we can change about ourselves, about our own families, and about our own uh, parishes before we go pointing the figure somewhere else. He says, the low view of God is the cause of a hundred less evils. You know, there can be, there's a lot of things right, wrong right now in our culture, okay? But the loss of the view of God, okay, the fear of the Lord, that basic wisdom, that God-centered wisdom, is the cause of many lesser evils. And then he says this, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Wow. And then he goes on, we must practice the long art of loving meditation upon the majesty of God. This will take some effort, for the concept of majesty has all but disappeared from the human race. The focal point of man's interest is now himself. Humanism, in its various forms, has displaced theology as the key to understanding life. Okay, knowledge of the holy, the prologue of the catechism of the Catholic Church. Now, I'm going to make some statements, and it might jar your ears a little bit because these are very popular things, but there's a potential severe problem with the popularity of the theology of the body. Now, I want to be very clear. I'm not talking about the content of John Paul II's teaching on the theology of the body. I have taught that several times in conferences, in my books, on this radio show. Uh, the, I don't have, uh, that's not the question. But the very terminology, if we're living in a culture that has basically, and you know, I'm, I gave you 
one of the best evangelical researchers literally in the world. I've given you uh, early Catholic and contemporary Catholic and papal statements about losing the idea, the centrality of God. Okay, when you say theology of the body in a day and age when theology has almost been lost, because theology is the study of God. That's what theos is, the Greek word for God, and ology is a study of, the study of God. And, and theology of the body can be turning the theology of God in a day when man and humanism and wise in our own eyes is the predominant worldview, even among so many Christians, it's so easy to lose sight of what we are talking about. In fact, one of the professors who taught one of the leading exponents of theology of the body said that there is indeed and there needs to be a Christian sexuality, but we have to be careful that does not devolve into a sexualized Christianity. Uh, And then there's another one, and again, the content of these things is absolutely fine, but the theology of the home. No, theology is about the knowledge of the Holy One. It's the knowledge of God. It's knowing God, which is eternal life. And again, in a culture where theology has been basically eclipsed, I'm talking about theology as the study and knowledge of God, and we've turned it to a meditation on our bodies or our homes, um, these are at best misnomers. And I realize these are are million-dollar titles and very catchy. Uh, It's created a lot of interest, but I think there's maybe some better titles and alternatives than calling this theology. I'm just going to give you an example. Most Catholic high school graduates in good schools have been taught the theology of the body, okay? And there's nothing wrong with that, but I would ask that you ask them, you know, in three minutes, can you tell me what you know about God or how you know God? Or can you describe a couple of his key attributes that are really meaningful for your life? Or could you write this down on a page of paper, or maybe even a half page of paper. I think there's going to be a lot of blanks. And if you're coming into a world where there's a blank when it comes to knowing God, the Holy One, the attributes of God, and then focusing on these other things, then I think you could get into real problems. Now, somebody's going to say, but don't we have to focus on the body in order to influence youth morals. I'm going to let you in on a huge, huge secret to all of the book of Sirach, right? We're going to see there's at least two, maybe even three dozen topics in the book of Sirach, okay? It's a long book. There's all types of topics on very practical things. And it would be a mistake to just open the book of Sirach and pull out a verse that kind of catches your attention and understand that in isolation from the overall theme of the book. The overall theme of Sirach is the wisdom that begins with the fear of the Lord, and that covers 
everything in every single verse of Sirach. In other words, all the individual exhortations have meaning and will have effect and did have effect in the early Catholic Church because they were united to the fear of the Lord. For instance, Sirach chapter 9 and verse 3 says, do not go to meet a loose woman lest you fall into her snares. And Sirach is actually kind of brief on its exhortations about the loose woman. Well, that would be an exhortation about sexual morality. But that exhortation, apart from the fear of the Lord, is like water off a duck's back. It will not have any lasting impact or effect on one's outlook or moral behavior. It has to be connected to something, namely the fear of the Lord. Now, our good friend, our first cousin to Sirach is Proverbs, and Proverbs begins, again, with the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom, and then chapter 5, which literally saved my soul, the first eight verses of chapter 5. I wouldn't even be speaking to you today if it was not for Proverbs chapter 5. The father says, my son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding. So in other words, he's about to give him a moral exhortation on sexual behavior, but it's rooted in wisdom. And what is wisdom? It begins with the fear of the Lord. If you don't have that, (laughs) this stuff doesn't work. But then he goes on to warn about the loose woman, because if you connect it to the fear of the Lord, and I'm talking about a living concept in your brain that the majesty of God, the holiness of God, the omnipotence of God, and these things have been mentioned and talked about and taught and emphasized in the home, in the classroom, in the parish, well, then you have something to root it in. So everything, in order to have effect all the moral exhortations, and this is why the early church used Sirach so much it was called the church book, even though it's an Old Testament book, it's because they knew it had to be rooted to something for the faith to survive in a pagan culture. Otherwise, the allure of friends and the other culture would just lead somebody down the wrong path. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and everything in Proverbs, everything in Sirach is covered from that understanding. And so our theology needs to have great emphasis on focusing on God. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 341 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.